WDBM East Lansing. Welcome to the Sci-Files, an Impact 89 FM series that explores student research here at Michigan State University. We're your co-hosts, Madi Dowling and Dimitri Joseph. Today we're here with Nupur Horia and Harshna Chahal to talk about their work. Hi guys, thank you so much for being here today. Could you please introduce yourselves and your research? Hi, my name is Nupur Huria. I'm currently a junior here at MSU, and I'm on the pre-med track, majoring in human bio and psychology. My name is Harshna Chahal. I'm currently getting my master's in public health at Michigan State University College of Human Medicine. I'm also on the pre-med track. A little bit about our research. We both grew up in a culture that really stigmatized menstruation, and that issue has always been on our minds growing up. A lot of people are self-conscious about menstruation and go to unusual lengths to hide it. So we wanted to do a little bit of research on how that is impacting students at Michigan State University and how we can show the benefit and need of free menstrual products across campus. We really wanted to look at how period poverty, which is defined as the lack of access to menstrual products, and how it's really an important yet often ignored public health issue that pushes low-income menstruators to adopt unhygienic practices, which negatively impacts not only their health, but also their education and psychological health as well. You talked about what your goal is in terms of increasing access to menstrual products, but what was your thinking behind this and how did you guys start on this project and this endeavor? We both really wanted to see free menstrual products in restrooms at Michigan State University. And one big pushback we were getting from administration and other people in general was like, okay, but why is this a need? Do you have data behind this? And Nippur and I did a lot of literature research and we couldn't find surveys really showcasing college students and the need of having free menstrual products and how period poverty can affect students' academia and life in general. And so we were like, oh, you know, why don't we just make our own survey, especially highlighting why students at MSU and faculties at MSU needing this. And the whole purpose was the research to help push an advocacy. And then we realized, why just keep this to ourselves when we can share it with the university itself that this is a problem that's occurring? What are some of the main parts that are a part of moving this initiative forward? Harsha and I came up with this survey, I want to say, May of 2022. We put it out during the summer. And throughout that time, I talked to dispenser companies, in particular one called Hospico, who directed me not only to proper dispenser prices, different options I can use, logistics. They directed me to the University of Washington, who had actually implemented a similar program. So I talked to their facilities manager and did a little case study on them, like how are their finances? And they have a comparable size to Michigan State. So I brought that in and gave it to administration. Originally, administration had estimated around $1.2 million to a year. Talking to dispenser companies and the other universities, we were able to bring that down to $300,000 a year, which was just really significant and went to show how feasible this actually was once it was broken up into different parts. So I think that was also a huge thing in getting that across. Giving that all to administration, I worked on a proposal with some of the administration, presented that to higher-ups, and then it was finally approved in, I want to say, around August-September time of 2022. From then on, we worked on communication, and all of the implementation of the dispensers was done I want to say mid-January to February of 2023. We got all the marketing and stuff out by mid-February, and since then it's just been cruising. I think another one is 
outside the finance, like the communication. I think advocacy. I don't think a lot of people realize that you can advocate for things. I didn't realize I could do that until I got to college and I joined my student government. I was like, oh, I can have an opinion on this matter and really push for something. And when you can get many organizations wanting to advocate to administration, like we need this need. We want this. Like we would love to have free menstrual products, not just having one voice behind a cause, but having like thousands of voices also really shows that there's a need for something like this. When you have individual people advocating on a big issue, it really pushes people's mindset that, hey, this is a problem. Let's work on this. Do you two have a PI or someone else, a mentor that's helping you navigate through this? Kind of. So we did kind of do most of the survey making ourselves, but we wanted to make sure that not only are we being inclusive, but are we being correct with the terminology that we're using? So we consulted mainly with Dr. Danielle Gartner from Department of Epidemiology and Biostatistics. And we worked with several RSOs on campus, Women's Student Services, Transaction, people from ASMSU as well to make sure that the language we were using was inclusive. This was going to be applicable to everybody who menstruates because it's a very common misconception to use just women when talking about menstruation, when in reality there are so many other identities that do menstruate and this was really going to affect. So yeah, Dr. Danielle Gartner, the RSOs, we've recently been in contact with Dr. Kristen Upson, who has been also amazing in helping us really disseminate this data as a whole, how to package it and how to publish it so that other universities can use it as well. This sounds like a very inspirational project <laughs> that you two are embarking on. What was some of the data that you collected that helped convince the university that this is a worthy project to give you support with? Yeah, so we had over 300 people actually filled out the survey, but because we didn't want people to feel uncomfortable having to ask each question. Not all of them filled out every single question. So we pulled about 196 MSU students and faculties that actually filled out every single question. The ages range from like 16 to 33 years old. The rough mean was 21.1 years. And we had about 96.4% identified as women, 2.6% identified as non-binary. And then we had a small portion that identified as men. Income, too, ranged a lot from this survey intake. We had about 12.8% that had a family income less than $25,000 a year. We had 8.5% made family income was $25,000 to $50,000. And only 10.3% that had a family income making more than $200,000 a year. What was really shocking, though, was finding out that 74% of students and faculties at MSU struggle to afford menstrual products. Mm -hmm. And that's a huge number when you're really thinking about it. Something that was also really shocking was we had about 75% of respondents say that the school makes them self-conscious about their periods. We had 94% students say they had a menstrual emergency on campus with no products available. And what people have used was kind of shocking. We had some people say they use toilet paper when they don't have any pads or tampons. Paper towel, cloth scrap. Some said, I kind of just didn't use anything and I went back to class or work. And I think the most shocking one was someone said they used socks because they couldn't find any tampons. Another really big shocking result we found was 73% of respondents said they weren't comfortable telling their professor or employer if they identified as male. 
not only does her research talk about period poverty, but period taboo and the feeling that menstruating can be uncomfortable to other people and often bring shame upon the idea of talking about menstruating on campus. And a really good example of period taboo that I think a lot of menstruators face is not being able to show your menstrual products when you're on your period or a lot of menstruators face health effects from menstruating that can be like very painful cramps during menstruation or get migraines. And people are uncomfortable to tell their professors or employers that they couldn't show up to class or work because they were menstruating. And getting these results back, we were just sitting in awe. I remember like once we were calculating everything that, oh my God, it is so apparent how period poverty and period taboo is affecting our community right now. Like how can administration not look at this and also be like, oh, this is a big problem. I think it's great that you guys emphasize that it's not just for cisgender women that this affects you guys. We're very inclusive, as you mentioned, about that methodology. So it builds a stronger case. I wonder if the university would eventually take steps to put those period products even in men's bathrooms as well. That's definitely one of our goals in the future. For the men's restrooms, Mission Menstruation at MSU is going to be continuing to provide those products in men's restrooms so that they're still available. On top of that, we also have about 40 or so desk locations across campus where products are available. So we do we are doing our best to make sure that everybody's covered. And that's something that we're really taking care of this year. Last year, our efforts were cut a little bit short later last semester because of the tragic events on campus. Like we just all needed to take a step back. So that's something that we're focusing on this year, getting those products out in men's restrooms, making sure that our desk locations across campus are restocked so that everything's available to everyone. Could you tell us a little bit about what Mission Menstruation is? So Mission Menstruation was an initiative that was started by three MSU students, actually, back in 2018, I want to say. In 2020, those three students graduated and they formed their own national team. And I got here 2021 and I found all the stuff about Mission Menstruation on Instagram, actually. And I reached out to the three people that had founded it and was like, this is super interesting. I know you guys have graduated, but I would love to keep this going on campus. So as a freshman, I established it as an RSO. And we were kind of just focused on ending period poverty and stigma on campus. That was like our bigger goal and a little bit more narrower. We wanted to get these dispensers funded by university. So we were providing menstrual products in about 10-ish locations when we started across campus. Now we've brought that number up to 40, which is something we're really excited about. And over the past year, we really pushed to use these data results that Harshan and I worked on, along with some personal other things that I had done, like budgeting, talking to other dispenser companies, a whole lot of stuff. And that's kind of where the whole dispenser thing came about. This initiative is a very complex project. There's a lot of different moving parts. But one of the things that I'm interested in is the connection between social economic level and any potential health implications. Could you let us know what the health implications are for people that are at risk for period poverty? A big common one is you can get vaginal infections if you keep a tampon on for too long. Toxic shock syndrome is also another health concern that can occur from period poverty. Yeah, going off of what Harshness said, definitely like bacterial vaginosis, as you mentioned, and then the mental health implications not having a product or having to be embarrassed of having a product or embarrassed of being on your period. There's a lot of correlation between people that aren't able to manage their hygiene properly 
and depression, especially in college students where we're already worrying about so many things from like classes to maintaining social lives and extracurriculars. Why is the finance and the burden of not having something as simple as menstrual products amplifying that? There's a lot of data surrounding it. So I think mental health and self-esteem is also a really big health component that's affected. There's a big gap currently in the research world about period poverty, and it just shows that we need more people pushing to get more information from the public about how is period poverty affecting them? Like, what are the long-term consequences of period poverty? How did you start this conversation with faculty or people that aren't familiar with this topic? The first presentation I did with the administration surrounding this topic, we didn't have any of our data yet. I kind of just went in blind and I was like, I'm going to tell them I care about this and see how it goes. It was Mm -hmm. kind of a trial and error type thing. But I remember I pointed out all the free things that this university offers and I had the most absurd list. Like that's that's what my intention was. Like obviously they're stationary, they're free shirts, you offer free tape measures. And I remember that was specifically (laughs) on the list because it was weird. I'm like, you offer all these free things and I listed them out without telling them that was the point. And I was like, what is what is in common about all these things and they obviously there was nothing like shown that was common i was like they're all offered by the university for free so why aren't menstrual products offered which are a lot more necessary than these things and a lot more <laughs> needed like pad tape measure like, you know? <laughs> but yeah that was kind of my approach to help them especially the ones that don't menstruate and don't think about this all the time mm-hmm. especially bringing that to the table it's like This is why this is important. Not only that, like this is very comparable to something like toilet paper. Like if you can give us toilet paper for free, you can give us free menstrual products, which is something that we need monthly. Like this was not a choice. And I think that really spoke to them and it really helped that they were so supportive and really excited about this. They're like, we've been talking about this for a while, but the main thing is we need to see hard data that this is a need. Mm-hmm. And we need budgeting numbers. So, yeah, that's how I kind of went about it. And you gave them that significant percentage of 74% of people on campus have struggled for menstrual products. Mm-hmm. And that, that's pretty convincing. Another way to think about period poverty is the lack of menstrual education. I'm blessed to have a mom who was very open and was able to teach me all these things. But not every student is coming from that privileged background of having that education. Just for clarification, does period poverty encompass the education as well as the financial disparities? So I would say that just using the direct term is a very broad statement. I know if you look it up online, it refers to the financial difficulties of accessing menstrual products. But personally, I would argue that anything that deters you from being able to access them should be considered period poverty. That could be education, that could be stigma. But yeah, if you were to just look up period poverty, it would give you just the financial difficulties that come with it. Is your project, does it have any uh, focus or direction in improving or increasing the education? I think just opening up the conversation surrounding menstruation with all the dispensers that came up, the social media and marketing that went with it helped to get that word across about what this is all about at its core. And it's not just accessibility. It's not, you know, just one thing. Everything connects. So we're getting like education out through this. We got accessibility, opening up the conversation reduces stigma. And 
to do a little self-promo here, uh, we're <laughs> actually working on bringing about a sexual health conference here at MSU next spring. So that's kind of our what's next after this, you know, so we got the accessibility. How can we focus on education and advocacy? And that's what we're looking forward to next. With the conference, we really want to not only include just students, faculties, med students, law students. We also really want to include high schoolers. We want middle schoolers to come to this. We want them to also learn early on, like, hey, there's a lot of problems in the world. One of them is period poverty, and it may or may not affect you or affect you later or affect someone you love. But come learn more about this information that is not widely spread, especially in schools. We've been talking about the relationship between stigma and not having these conversations and period poverty, and I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about whether you think the stigma has played a role in being able to talk about menstruation in a more accessible way. So for me, I'd say that I think the stigma made it take this long to start the conversation surrounding adding these dispensers, having these conversations in the first place, starting this initiative. But once we got the ball rolling, I don't feel like the stigma really played a part in that, honestly, just because of the administration being open to this. But I definitely do think in terms of the students on campus, the stigma has played a huge role in just the amount of advocates that there are for this issue and someone may be advocating for it but it may be a lot more silent and I feel like there are societal barriers put into place not explicitly by anyone that do make it harder to start talking about these things in the first place and I feel like that plays a role in the minds of a lot of younger advocates so I think just to get that initial ball rolling it took a lot more of the push but once it got rolling it went pretty fast in my opinion. Kind of adding along to not just stigma, period taboo in general, and just lack of education, I feel like we're also there because we had a lot of people that didn't really know much about what period poverty was, and some people were just really uncomfortable wanting to talk about it out loud, so we had that hurdle to get over because, I mean, I was uncomfortable to talk for a really long time and then got to college and I was like, "Mm, who cares, I'm just going to say my thing. But you get a lot of maybe young advocates out there that are uncomfortable or facing these kind of issues and don't really want to talk about it. And unfortunately, we still live in a country where there's a lot of predominantly non-menstruators in public office or higher administration. And so when they don't menstruate, they might not have that educational background or that experience at all so you get that uncomfortable feeling of when you're trying to bring it up yeah I think we live in the culture unfortunately where periods are not celebrated Mm -hmm. and I think that it's often wrongly generalized that that's the case in every culture where it's really not there are several cultures that celebrate young menstruators Mm -hmm. and really want to put it out to the world like have parties and celebrations oh my kid just had their first period but Unfortunately for us, that's not the case. And I think our ultimate goal is to switch that. Harshna and Nupur, thank you so much for coming and having this great conversation. It was really a treat to learn more about the work that you're doing and how it's being applied to help menstruators at MSU. So I look forward to your work in the future. Yeah, I, I truly appreciate your initiative and in, uh, in just educating all of us. Yeah, no, thank you so much for having us. We're so excited to see this come out and for getting... I'm the word out there about our work because, yeah, we, we do agree that it is it is really important. Yeah, I just want to echo that as well. But thank you so much. It was a joy talking to you all. <laughs> and to those people listening out there, advocate on things you believe. We always love to see new work out there. 